Welcome to Leaders of the West, a podcast for innovators and changemakers. I'm your host, Jesse Jarvis, the founder of Of the West, and I'm sitting down with agriculturalists, entrepreneurs, executives, and everyone in between with the goal of digging into the strategies, mindsets, and lessons that have been crucial to the success of ag and Western. Whether you're carrying on the next generation of your family's operation, starting something from scratch, or determined to climb up the leadership ladder, we're going to inspire you to continue to dream big, growing not just you, but the future of agriculture and Western as a whole. Let's go. On this week's episode of Leaders of the West, we are going to sit down with Taryn Dreeling. She is a wife, mom, rancher, and Enneagram coach which I am super fascinated by. I think the world is fascinated by the Enneagram and self-assessment and self-awareness. And Taryn is going to dig into why we are the way that we are, how knowing who we are and why we are the way that we are can help us both personally, professionally. And I know you guys are going to love this conversation as much as I do. So let's get right into it. Karen, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Let's kick things off. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your involvement in the industry, and your work as an Enneagram coach? Yes. And first, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here as well. So yes, my name is Taryn Dreeling. I grew up in Northeast Nebraska on a small feed yard. And when I was a kid, I had dreams of becoming a veterinarian. But then I got to college and physics happened. So I changed my major from pre-vet to feed yard management. And when I got out of college, I worked for a largish corporate feed yard in the panhandle of Nebraska. I met my husband when we were in college and we kind of both wanted to be, well, he wanted to be in the panhandle. I had no idea about the panhandle, but I just went because that's what kind of where he wanted to be. And then I fell in love with Western Nebraska and being on mountain time. So we're still here. In 2013, the feed yard that I was working for sold and I ended up staying on with the new owner for a little while. And then Tom had the offer for what at the time was his, Tom is my husband. He had the offer on the table for what was his dream job which was working for a large ranch in the Sandhills. And so I, I did the whole driving back and forth to work thing from the ranch to the feed yard, but it was a long drive. And I ultimately decided to resign my post at the feed yard and become a stay-at-home mom slash ranch hand, or as I like to say, take your kids to work every day, mom. <laughs> All of that is so accurate. But in doing that, it allowed me more time to dive into what some other interests I had and other passions that I had in starting a blog and showing people what we do, raising beef and sharing recipes and what it's like raising kids and cattle, all the things. So I did that. I started my blog, Faith, Family and Beef in 2014. And over the course of the last almost 10 years, that has sort of my mission has changed. And it was all the result of one fateful day in the pasture, moving cows with myself and what was just me and my dog and reflecting on the stockmanship phrase that we have, good movement draws good movement. And how if you are communicating with your cattle and they're understanding you, 
then they're, you know, you can move one or two head of cattle and their good movement draws the movement from the rest of the herd in whatever direction you're asking them to go. And as I was moving cattle that morning, that's what happened. I moved like one or two pair through the gate and I just sat back on the hill and watched as the cows picked up their calves and trailed off in the direction of the new pasture. And I was thinking to myself, if this principle applies with cattle, could it apply with humans? Like if we check ourselves and lead conversations with kindness and respect, could those conversations draw more conversation led with kindness and respect? And in my reflection, I couldn't help but think that not only is it possible, it's absolutely necessary. So now I am where I am today. And I recognize that. I mean, I always knew that good stockmanship starts with self-awareness, but I wasn't entirely sure how to explain that or expedite the process for other people until I discovered the Enneagram. And that is what the Enneagram does. It expedites self-awareness. And so then once we're self-aware, we have the tools to then communicate more effectively, less stress, all the things. And so that's kind of how I got here. So then you also do coaching. So let's talk a little bit about that and how your how your work with the Enneagram then, like what it is that you do with it. Yes. So just like our communication with cattle hinges on us being aware, because obviously cattle don't speak English. They don't, you know, understand if we just talk to them. We have to be very aware of our position and our energy and how that affects them. The same is true for our human-to-human interactions. It starts with self-awareness because whether we want to believe it or not, our behaviors and our energy, our facial expressions, all things that aren't, I mean, our, our words and the way we say things also too, but all those other things, they affect how people perceive us or what we're conveying to other people. So just like with cattle, communication with humans takes self-awareness first and foremost. And so I use the Enneagram to, like I said, expedite the self-awareness process. And then also when I'm coaching, you're not just learning about your own Enneagram type. You're learning about all the other eight types that there are. And what that does is it helps you understand that there's more than just your way of seeing the world. So you can then extend grace to your fellow humans. And you can also understand your behaviors and things that you need to work on. Okay. Well, this gets me to the question because obviously I'm super excited to talk about the Enneagram because I think that that's something that obviously at this point, everybody is intrigued by. They either know what they are or they've at least heard of it. But before we do that, I want to talk about self-assessment or assessment in general, because a few days ago, you and I talked a lot about self-awareness. And really, that is what any test, whether it is the Enneagram, the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, like anything of that nature is rooted in self-awareness. So in your mind, how important is self-awareness? It's the most important. (laughs) And I that's not to say that other like social awareness and all the other things aren't also important. But really, the only thing that you have control over is yourself and how you are responding, how you are behaving. And if you're not aware of your behaviors and your responses or reactions to other people, it's really hard to do a whole lot else. And there are people who make their way through the world 
just fine without being that self-aware. But at the end of the day, my friend Emily said she was in, she said that her therapist said, well, she asked if less self-aware people were happier. And her therapist said, well, yes, but those are the people that get to the end of their life and they have regrets. And so that's something that I've kind of held on to since the first time that I heard Emily say that, but it's just so true. Like self-awareness is hard because it makes you aware of the kind of like itchy things that you don't want to be aware of. But if you're not aware of them, then you can't change them. And like you can't change what you can't name. And so self-awareness helps you name things that you want to change, or I don't know if I'm making any sense here. (laughs) No, I think you're seriously spot on. And honestly, even when you talk about like, well, yeah, social awareness is is important too. It absolutely is. But if you're not self-aware, then chances are you're also not necessarily going to be socially aware either. Like it all starts with you and then understanding and how you're perceiving that. And and it all starts on the inside, I believe. Yes. And you can be socially aware and not self-aware at all. And so if you're not self-aware, but you are socially aware, it's still you're playing off of what people are telling you or what you're reading in other people without being aware of your own behaviors. And so sometimes that doesn't get you very far or it gets you really far with all the people you're interacting with, but then you're like left sad and unhappy. (laughs) So if somebody's sitting there asking themselves, I wonder how self-aware I am or how do I become self-aware? Because maybe they're they're unsure of whether they are or not. Where are some places aside from a personality type test that they should start? Okay. So I say to people when I'm talking about the Enneagram, if you feel convicted not to use this tool, then please, by all means, don't. But that doesn't mean that self-awareness is any less important. And so if you choose not to use one of the tools, then it's a matter of self-reflection, like reflecting on interactions you've had and asking yourself, well, why did I feel that way? Or why did I, what led me to this conclusion? And another really hard one to ask is, how could I have done things differently to affect that interaction in a more positive way. And that's hard, like I said, because sometimes it's hard for us to realize that we affect more than we think. But it's also a great question because we do affect more than we think. And if you want to create positive change, you have to get self-aware. And that question is a great place to start. Reflection in general is a great place to start. And just recognizing your feelings. I think also in agriculture, sometimes we're averse to expressing feelings like what we're really feeling. And we need to stop that. Just frankly, we need to stop that. (laughs) I'm with you. Well, I think another good question too to ask yourself is like, why did I react that way? Because that's another one that really like puts you in a moment of pause to then figure out like, okay, what, like, where does that stem from? Why why am I the, the way that I am? Yeah. Why did I react that way? Like, especially if it's something that you don't think should have elicited that sort of reaction in yourself, there's probably something underneath that that you need to uncover. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So now that we've gotten that established, the importance of self-awareness, let's dig into the Enneagram. Can you give us a quick breakdown of each of the nine types for those who may not be as familiar with them as others? 
Okay. So I'm just going to give a really quick overview of the Enneagram as a whole. And then I will say each type and their correlating motivation because uh, we could have, we could be here forever. Yes. We could be here forever. So the Enneagram, what sets it apart from other personality assessments is that it's rooted in your motivations. So where others tell you what you do in your behaviors, the Enneagram tells you why you do it, which I find far more beneficial because I use the analogy of a car. If we have a car and we know it's running crappy, we have two choices at that point. We can either continue running it crappy or we can fix it, but we can't fix it unless we know why it's running crappy. And the same is true for us. We might know that things aren't running the way we want them to. Maybe we have some crappy behaviors. And at that point, we have two choices. We can continue on in our our same behaviors or we can work to make change, but we can't change anything unless we know why we're behaving the way we are. So the Enneagram gives you the why or your motivation for your behaviors. And there are nine types. I'm going to start with eight because historically, if you start with any other number, then the eights will get bored and, you know, go do something else. And if you start with sevens, they'll get excited and start Googling about themselves and not pay attention to the other nine ty- or other eight types. So eights, they are motivated by self-reliance. And when I talk about motivations, some of these are going to sound like, well, I want those things and I work for those things, but we need to think about motivations as your driving force. So what drives your every behavior and every move? For eights, that's self-reliance. For nines, their motivation is keeping the peace. Ones are motivated by perfection. Twos are motivated by love and appreciation. Type threes are motivated by admiration and affirmation. Fours are motivated by uniqueness. Fives are motivated by knowledge. And sixes are motivated by security and support. And finally, sevens are motivated by happiness and fulfillment. Okay. So let's say that somebody has taken an Enneagram test online. They know their type. Then what? Now what? How do they use that knowledge to their advantage? Okay, so first things, first thing I want to say here is that if you have taken a test online and it's told you a type, please go read more. I recommend the book The Road Back to You. I actually recommend it so much that my phone autofills if I type in capital the, and I just have to hit Road Back to You. The reason I say that is because the Enneagram is rooted in your motivations. It's really hard for AI to judge your motivations. And also sometimes we answer questions subconsciously the way we want to be instead of the way we actually are. So reading more about each of the nine types can really help you hone in and make sure that you haven't mistyped. I'll use myself as an example. When I first learned about it, I did go take an online test and it told me I was a type seven. Lots of things tracked there. I reframe things to the positive. You know, I don't like feeling bad feelings, et cetera, or like feelings that make me uncomfortable. But then I did go and I read the book, The Road Back to You, and the sevens sin or weakness or passion, depending on what you want to call it, is gluttony. So they're gluttonous after 
new, exciting experiences that make them feel fulfilled. That didn't track for me. But the nines, sin, weakness, passion, is sloth. And it's not literal laziness, but spiritual laziness. So falling asleep to your own desires to go along to get along kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that is definitely me. (laughs) I do that. And so that's why I recommend reading. And, you know, we said self-reflection was a great way to get self-aware. And that self-reflection is also part of learning your Enneagram type. And then once you get that, then you can move forward. And I said the Enneagram was, I felt like it was more beneficial because it tells you your motivations. But also with some of those other typologies, they want you to like stomp your weakness and boost your strengths. But with the Enneagram, your greatest weakness is also your greatest strength. So you can't have one without the other. And so it's not so much about getting rid of these behaviors and boosting these, but seeing the why behind them and then using that for positive change, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And then, and back to that piece of, that you mentioned about strengths and weaknesses, a person can't actually exist without weaknesses. Like you could identify all of your weaknesses and you could improve upon them, but there's no way that one person can be equal parts, all strengths. Like you have to have something because it's a balancing act, right? So you have to have something that's going to counterbalance the the other thing. Okay. So let you did mention mistyping yourself, which I am guilty of. We talked a little bit about this a couple of days ago. I am somebody who I've taken the Enneagram test a number of times and my results have always came back inconclusive. I've either been a three or a six. And so then I've never really known for years now, like, well, what is my type? I don't know. I relate very well to both of those. So what are some what are some ways that somebody might think like, okay, maybe this isn't right? Okay. So like I said, for me, it was reading about it. But for you, where it gave you three and a six, The Enneagram, if you look at the diagram, the numbers are connected by the circle and then there's lines in between. And those lines in between mean something for your example specifically. Three and six share a line. So the other thing about the Enneagram that differs from other typologies is that it's not static. There's movement. And so that means a few different things. It means that we draw from the different types in different situations. It means that two people of the exact same type can look vastly different. It means two people of different types can look pretty similar. But for your specific example, threes and six share a line. So when threes are secure, they draw from six. When sixes are in stress, they draw from three. So that may be where your, I don't want to say confusion, but your not knowing, it lies somewhere in there. So you're you're probably either a core type three, and whenever you took the online test, you were, you know, secure, or you might be a core type six. And when you took the test, you're, you're feeling a little stressed out. And so it affected how you answered the questions. So you really have to come back to those core motivations. And I didn't mention this earlier when I was talking about the nine types and the motivations, but our core motivations are made up of four things. So our fear, 
desire, weakness, sin, passion. Like I said, there you can call it's called all those different things. I I prefer like weakness or sin, but and then our longing. So our longing is what we want to hear to counter the lies that we tell ourselves. So those four things make up our core motivation. So really when you're deciphering between two different types or trying to figure out what your types are, you have to focus on those four things and then go from there. This is good. I think that you probably just answered a lot of listeners' questions about the Enneagram just because I can only imagine how many people have, have gotten similar results to me where they've thought, man, I just feel like this is inconclusive, if you will. So how does knowing one's Enneagram and the Enneagram of those around them benefit a person in their relationships, be those personal relationships or professional relationships? So how important is it? Obviously, I've taken the test. Is it important that I have my husband take the test or my coworkers take the test or my you know employees take the test? So while it is beneficial or can be beneficial to know other people's types, it's not necessary for you to do good work and make positive change in your own life using the Enneagram. And that is because it comes back to what you know about yourself and how you do that, do things with what you know about yourself. So using myself as an example, I used to think that because I can see lots of shades of gray and more than one side to every story, I used to think that everyone else could too. And so as you might imagine, the very dualistic talk on the internet really rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, why can't you guys see the other side? Well, the Enneagram has helped me learn and understand that not everybody has that ability. I thought everyone had the ability and was choosing not to see other perspectives when the truth is not everyone actually can. And so that has helped me extend grace to other people. And knowing, just knowing that there are eight other ways of seeing the world also helps me extend grace to other people. It's not like I go around typing everyone I meet. I'm using what I know about me and my type to help better communicate with them. Another thing that I do as a type nine is go along to get along. And so I worried about conflict with other people. So sometimes I am passive aggressive and unclear when what I really want to be is kind. So knowing that about myself, I recognize that when I'm unclear, I am being unkind and it's helped me take steps to be more clear and thus more kind. So those are just a couple of personal examples of how you can use this in work and relationships. Okay. So let's build on that a little bit because you do a lot of work coaching both individuals and teams about self-awareness and Enneagrams and really how to work with one another. Can you explain those different types of like, how is it beneficial for a business to have a, like an Enneagram workshop, let's say. So to start, I have one-on-one coaching. I've called my coaching and trainings, good movement trainings or good movement coaching, because it all goes back to that day in the pasture. But the one-on-one coaching, it's obviously you and I, and we, if you don't know your Enneagram type, we work through and we figure it out. And then we move forward with what to do with that information. So you can, I've been um, doing this for five years now, and I'm still learning a lot of new things and discovering a lot of things that are just like, whoa, that makes a lot of sense and putting it to use. And so we just, it's really personalized coaching to you and whatever your type is and whatever communication situations you might be dealing with. And then the group good movement trainings is for 
I, I limit it to farms, ranches, and rural small businesses. And I either come to your place and we do a half a day training or a full day training, depending on what you're looking for. And it's personalized to your team. And at the end of the day, everyone will know or at least have a very good idea of what their Enneagram type is and some action items to move forward. And then we also discuss how each type prefers to be communicated with because there's a lot of misunderstandings within teams and families that could be avoided if we just understood, oh, well, they're a type one. And so they are very concerned with efficiency and they're not actually being critical of me. They have this inner critic in their mind. And so they're more critical of themselves, et cetera, like things like that. Or, oh, they're a type five and they wake up every day with a limited amount of energy. So I cannot text them and ask them questions at 630 at night and expect a response back that night, you know, those sorts of things. So that's kind of what the half day is, is more the Enneagram communication stuff. And then the full day group training, we actually build out, a, I call it a herd identity, but it's essentially a team identity, who you are, what you do and how you act. And then that serves as accountability for everyone on the team to be those things and behave that way. And it's it's decided upon by your group. Like you guys spout out adjectives to me based on those questions. I write them on the board and then we put them into a nice, pretty herd identity statement. So one thing that I think that maybe we kind of skipped over a little bit is you are not a self-proclaimed professional in this. You have spent a lot of time and investment in training on Enneagram and your knowledge. So can you share a little bit more about that with us? So I have read, I don't know, like Jesse can see my books back here. There's a lot I of books, guys. Take in so much information reading. I've read a lot about the Enneagram specifically, but then also I read about psychology. I've read all of Sean Acor's books. He's a positive psychologist. I read a lot about brain science. Every year, I invest in myself and my education. So in 2023, I participated in Suzanne Stabile's Enneagram cohort. She is a code back to you, other Enneagram books. And she travels around the country teaching on the Enneagram. And so I participated in her cohort where she was teaching. And we met quarterly, and it was fantastic. But also, it was kind of a whipping because you know, self-awareness can be hard. <laughs> oh boy, can it ever. And so that is like, I'm constantly learning and I don't just learn from what I've read or what I've participated in. I'm also observing myself, people around me. And okay, people will say, I bet you're just typing everyone you meet. No, I, I don't, I'm not doing that. But I am observing like how interactions go. and then. Like what could have made that interaction more positive or less stressful or things like that. And then I'm bringing that to my trainings and my teaching. Oh, this conversation has been so good because I think that it's really opened up a lot of eyes, probably to the Enneagram, the importance of self-awareness, obviously, which is really where what all of that is rooted in, the importance of not only being self-aware, but then 
allowing that to better your relationships, whether those are personal or professional, this has been awesome. But I want to get to the rapid fire round. So what is the best piece of business or personal advice that you've ever been given? Okay, this is the best piece of personal advice I've ever been given. I was trying to think because, you know, I'm an avid listener of Leaders of the West. I was trying to think like, what is the best piece of business advice I've gotten? And I just couldn't come up with anything because there's so much good stuff out there. But when I was first dating my husband and we were getting pretty serious, my dad told me that when you find the person that you are going to spend the rest of your life with, that person comes first right after your relationship with God. So God, your spouse, everyone else and all the other relationships come after that. And, you know, when dads tell you stuff, sometimes you're like, oh, okay, dad. But then I got married. I got my priorities out of line. And, you know, it hit the fan for a little while until I got everything back where it should be. And so that has been the best piece of personal advice I've ever gotten. You know, I, I've heard different variations of that, but that is something that is like as simple as those words are. Holy cow, does that have big meaning to it? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay. If you could give people any words of wisdom and you knew that they would take them to heart, what would it be? Practice makes confidence, not perfection. And so I got to tell the story of where this came from because it's, I, I, I love it. It makes me proud as a mom, <laughs> but we were practicing horse 4-H and my daughter, my middle daughter was getting pretty frustrated that she couldn't get this one thing. I think it was like backing her horse up or maybe side passing or something. And I was like, you know, you're just getting started at this. And so we just need to practice because you know what practice makes. And she said, I was looking for her to say perfection, obviously, <laughs> but she said, practice makes confidence. And I was like, that, that is good. That is way better than what I was thinking. And so that would be my piece of advice to everyone is that practice makes confidence. There's no such thing as perfection. Confidence is far more valuable. Oh man. Amen to that. When you said that I was thinking of, cause I, I hate to actually like outwardly admit this, but here I am. I'm terrible at backing up our trailer. And I should be good at this, right? Because I've backed up things for forever, but it's just not anything that like I've ever really succeeded at in life. And guess what? You don't get better if you don't do it. So for mm -hmm. a long time, I was like, oh, you just do it. Or like, oh, we've, we've got to be in a hurry. Like you get this done. Or can you go help me with this? Because I've got to do this other thing. And like, I will voluntarily not do it because I know I'm not good at it. But that's not ever going to make me better. And so a couple of nights ago, I had Jackson and I were coming down from the ranch and I had the pickup and trailer and I pulled it in and it was getting dark and we have this really tiny place where we park our trailer and you've got to back it in and you're in between a haystack and a fence. So if you hit either one of them, like it's not going to be a good situation. And I easily could have just parked the pickup where it was and, you know, oh, Justin can get that tomorrow. But I was like, no, I'm never going to get better at this if I don't do it now. And if I don't do it now, it's going to get dark and then I'm never going to be able to do it. And we're going to have the horses out and their haystack is going to fall over. And you should have seen all of the little backup marks in our parking lot. Like it looked like somebody had it, it would became a dance floor for people. <laughs> but I got that thing backed in there and it was all as well. But I just two nights ago thought of that same thing of 
how important practice is because you're never going to get better at anything if you don't practice it. And I know we all know that, but do we really know that? And the truth is you may never be good at backing up a trailer, but you might be more confident. Exactly. And confident, if you're confident in it, I mean, even when you are fully confident in something, you still know you need to get better at it. Like there's no specific destination with that. There's always the journey. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, I feel like I kind of hijacked your your rapid fire answer. There, no, but, okay. but it was a great real life example. If you could go to dinner with anybody dead or alive, who would you pick? Uh, this one is easy for me, but also hard for me <laughs> because it's so fresh. But my dad died in May. And so I would definitely choose him because who wouldn't want one more dinner with dad? Oh, amen to that. What is a quote that you lead your life by? I am going to say good movement draws good movement first and foremost, because it does. And I really do live my life by this. Like everything that I do, I know that if it's like good movement, whether it's interactions or exercising or all the other things that can be applied to good movement, good movement draws good movement. And I've built this sort of business around this idea, but in my heart of hearts, I believe it's true that good movement draws good movement. Kindness draws kindness. All the good things draw all the good things. And so it's sort of like, you know, another way to say it is like the ripple effects. Good movement draws good movement. But also then I wear this necklace that my friend um, Morgan Green made for me and it has Psalm 46, one on it which is a Bible verse that I lean on quite a bit. And that one is God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so I lean on that because, and another verse that I lean on John 16, 33, Jesus tells us in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so like, I know I'm going to have trouble, but I also know God is there to help me along the way. Ooh, that was so many good words of wisdom and good quotes there. Okay, let's talk about your favorite things. So I added in this question because anytime that I share some like rinky-dink little life hack on social media, I feel like it then helps so many people that had never heard of it before, whether it is a, you know, a book or or like I said, a life hack or a service that people didn't know existed. So do you have a book, a podcast, a product, a life hack that you want to share that needs to be known by more people? Recently, I shared my poor woman's latte on Instagram. And the response to that was so incredible. I live rarely and I love coffee. I love a latte once in a while, but there isn't a coffee shop, you know, just down the street. So years ago, I came up with, actually, I think Tom came up with the poor woman's latte, but I named it poor woman's latte. But you just heat milk and I use maple syrup in the microwave or, you know, on the stove if you don't have a microwave. And then you use your kitchen whisks and then you pour your cup of coffee and you put the milk frothed milk on top and it makes a latte. And so I can't, there were so many people who were like, I did not know you could froth milk with a whisk like that. Thank you. So that's one life-changing rural hack that I have. 
Oh my gosh, you guys, coffee lovers of rural America, rejoice. That That is such a good life hack. See, and this is what I'm talking about. When you share stuff like that, that people are like, wait a minute, that just made my life, my day so much better by this new thing that I didn't even know existed. And then the book, When the Body Says No by Dr. Gabor Mate. The book is so incredibly good and so annoyingly convicting because he talks about how when we don't process trauma or recognize and name our emotions, that that can then lead to disease later on in our lives. And wow, it's good. Ooh, okay. Well, for those of you who want to read that, I will make sure that we link that in the show notes. And we'll also link, remind me, what was the Enneagram book? The The Road Back to You. The Road Back to You. Okay. Actually, I am going to, for those of you listening, do us a favor and you can do one of two things. You can tell us what your favorite part of today's episode was, or you can share your Enneagram type and what you learned because you read a little bit more about it after listening to this podcast. And if you do that in the first week, so Tuesday to Monday of when this airs, we will give away the road back to you to a couple of you. So if you want the book, but you don't want to buy it, that'll be a fun way of doing that. And then where can people find you out online? On Instagram, I am Taryn, T-E-R-R-Y-N, dot Dreeling, D as in David, R-I-E-L-I-N-G. My website is still faithfamilyandbeef.com and on Facebook, Faith Family and Beef. I'm in the transitioning period to transitioning those to my name as well. But for right now, that's where you can find me. Perfect. Well, Taryn, thank you so much for hanging out and sharing all about self-awareness and assessment and the Enneagram. And I know that everyone who has listened to this appreciates it just as much as I do. So thank you for hanging out with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. We'll see you guys next week. If you loved this episode, do us a favor and share it with someone else who might find just as much value in it as you did. We're on a mission to continue to grow and strengthen the future of agriculture and Western industries, and you spreading the word helps us make more of a positive impact. It also makes a big difference when you take a minute to go rate and review the show. We can't thank you enough for listening, for sharing, and for loving Ag and Western as much as we do. We'll see you back here for our next episode.